So I just want to um, pray for us this morning, Um, maybe pray for myself a little bit this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that um, we would be in a place where we could hear you. I pray that you would quiet our hearts and our souls and our minds, that we could be at rest in this place that we would be in a place where we feel loved and that we know our worth that comes from you, Jesus. I pray that you would speak through me this morning. I pray that your spirit um, would use me and um, touch people's lives. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. So, uh, last week, Larry started our new series that we're calling The Walk, and in it, he introduced that throughout Scripture, our relationship with God is um, oftentimes described as a journey or a walk. And unfortunately, um, as it's described in the Bible, it isn't an easy journey. It's not an easy one you can go on. It's, It's a difficult journey with ups and downs. And really, our relationship with God, it affects all the different aspects of our lives. And so over the last couple of weeks, this series has kind of made me think about how different people approach journeys, how we make a plan for where we're going, and how we plan to be guided through our travels. And so I thought about how growing up, I went on lots of different hikes with my dad, Um, And more often than going on hikes, we did, you know, when the weather was nice, we'd go on hikes throughout the year. But we went on lots of different road trips. And so I was just thinking about how my dad approached a journey. And um, for my dad, my dad's personality, he really likes details. Um, He likes a plan. And so what that meant is whenever we went anywhere, he always had a map with him. And, I mean, always had a map with him. That's just who my dad is. Um, He actually, his job is creating maps for years. He um, is a soil scientist, so he created maps. So he loves a good map. He's always got a map with him. And so when we went on a hike, that meant he needed a topographical map. So um, for those of you who are not aware, um, a topographical map has all these different colors showing the different elevation changes that you will go on a hike. Um, so he knows what to expect, what turns to make, exactly where the destination is going. Um, Larry and I go on a lot of hikes. Larry doesn't often take a topographical map. Um, I found year after year, he's like, oh, I had no idea that was going to be such a hard hike. And I'm learning, and maybe I need to get my own topographical map. But um, for my dad, when we would go on road trips, what this meant, this is going to date me, but, um, you know, this is pre-Google Maps. When I was growing up, we would go to AAA and get a triptych. Does anybody know what a triptych is? A triptych, you would get a, go and say where you're going, and they would print out this flip booklet for you, and there would be little maps along the way telling you exactly where you're supposed to go. Pretty handy, right? Um, and for me, I would be in the pas- passenger seat. My job sometimes was to make sure I knew where we were supposed to be 
um, on the triptych. I would let my dad know what came next. And um, there were some times, though, that the triptych wouldn't know that there was going to be a roadblock or, you know, there'd be an accident and really bad um, traffic. And so then my dad would have a backup map in the glove box, always. You know, if we were in Ohio, there was always a state of Ohio map that we could um, go to. But even if we were going out of town, he would get the backup map for that state. And so my job would be to unfold this gigantic, you know, folded up paper mat. Some, like, the young ones have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, these paper maps, and I would have to try to figure out where we were and, and, um, and find a different route um, as my dad is driving which I was terrible at. I was so bad at figuring out where we were even at, and then to find another route was just, it was so stressful. And then I couldn't even figure out how to fold the thing back in to go into the map. I hated it. So luckily these days, this beautiful, wonderful thing called Google Maps, right? Where it just kind of magically knows where you are and tells you the next turn you're supposed to make, right? At the roundabout, take the second exit. You know, you even get to choose the accent you want to hear your directions in. I'm hoping someday you can just say, Colin Firth, please give me directions. <laughs> Sounds nice, right? But today, um, we're going to talk about being guided through our walk with God. And if this relationship with God is a journey, then who is guiding us through it? And I think years, um, for years of my early walk with Jesus, I, I would have had a hard time telling you um, exactly how that was happening, who was guiding me through it. Um, I, I knew the right answers. I knew who was supposed to be. But practically speaking, I think I was really just trusting other believers to tell me what my next step was. I, I have learned, though, that Jesus has a better plan. He had a plan for who was supposed to guide us through this journey. And so we're going to look today um, at that. We're going to look at um, the Gospel of John. And we're going to look in chapter 16 of John. And here is after Jesus, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. It's the, at the very end of his ministry. He knows he's going to return to God to ascend into heaven. And so he's giving his disciples the plan. And so we're going to look at um, verse 6 to see what Jesus says the plan is. He says, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. It says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate when he's referring to the Holy Spirit here, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. In verse 13, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Here, Jesus is talking to people who've been following him around for three years. I mean, not all of them, but some of them have been here with him for three years, literally walking the journey with him. 
right beside him, telling him what next step is going to happen. And he's saying, that isn't the plan. I have something better for you, which is crazy. I think all of us really who are following Jesus want Jesus right beside us, right? We want him through the day, walking right beside us in person, telling us what next step to take. But Jesus says here that there's actually a better plan. And so he promises the Holy Spirit. And so he goes and he sends back into heaven and he tells them to wait for this gift that's coming, the Holy Spirit. And so they're gathered together 10 days later in the temple and that's when this gift arrives. And so we're going to look at Acts the book of Acts, um, where we read about the Holy Spirit coming. Uh, Luke is an eyewitness to this. He writes the book of Luke, but he also writes um, the book of Acts. And so we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit arrives. It says in Acts chapter 2, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Remember that, that it came like a sound of a blowing violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And now... There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. All of these different people coming from different places, all in the same place. And they said, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being, being spoken. They were utterly amazed. They asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. They were amazed and perplexed, and they asked one another, what does this mean? And so if you continue reading, Peter stands up and he kind of has this great message and he takes them through what this means. He talks about Jesus. He talks about the gospel and the good news and how Jesus is the Messiah that they were waiting for. He talks about Jesus's death and resurrection. And then it says in verse 37 in Acts, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, And the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the plan. That we would receive the Holy Spirit and that it would fill us with God's power that we would have the spirit to guide us, and that that is possible because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because of his sacrifice, we are able to have the forgiveness of all the ways that we fall short of God's plan for us. 
And when we repent and reject our old way of living and choose to be baptized, declaring in that that Jesus now gets to be in charge of our life, we are promised that the Spirit of God dwells in us. In Romans 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul talks about how if we are believers, that the Spirit of God is, lives in us. But it isn't just living. It says it makes a home in us. Think about the difference of just living somewhere for a week. Maybe you're traveling and you just live somewhere. Or making a home. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It makes a home. It makes its dwelling in us. And that's just incredible to think about God's power and spirit making its home inside of us. Problem is, I knew all of that. I learned all of that growing up. I could answer the question, and yet I didn't have experiential knowledge of what that meant and how God was guiding me through my life. And so recently I read um, an article read by, um, written by a, a friend of mine who's a pastor and she's a writer. And she happens to be from a similar church background um, as mine. And so she wrote in, um, in this article about the Holy Spirit. And she started out like this. She says, um, in my denomination, the Spirit is the weird part of God. She said, anytime someone does something awkward or manipulative or overly emotional or theologically questionable, it seems to be the Spirit's doing. Some of you might have grown up like that as well. She said, so we'll opt out of that, thank you very much. <laughs> and I, I can relate to that. But she says, a year ago, I felt something rattling in my rib cage, longing for a hearing. And for the first time, I stopped to listen. The voice was small, but it wasn't still. And the more I listened, the more I wondered if it only seemed small because I had tuned it out. I so related to that, and my upbringing um, was very similar. I was taught about the Holy Spirit, um, but I wasn't really taught how to listen to the Holy Spirit. I was taught um, what to worry about, you know, all the weird stuff to worry about. And I, I also, I think, we all see people who claim, you know, God talk to them, and then they do some things that, you know, you, you question. Was that God? Was that mental illness? You know, that happens. Um, you see people on the trains or on TV, and it makes you wonder. Or, or there's people who say, God told me to do something, and it, it's a lot like manipulation, right, to get their way. And I didn't want that, but I didn't have a good idea what else worked. And for me, um, following Jesus that way kind of worked as long as my relationship with Jesus was pretty easy. As long as all that I really thought was expected of me was to show up at church and follow some rules. But as life happened and my relationship with Jesus got more challenging, I realized I needed something more than that, that I truly needed the Holy Spirit to guide me. I think if we're honest, many of us um, have the ability to use our own strength and talents to live a pretty successful life on our own. And that we don't really require the Holy Spirit's help 
But what that means is, is that there really isn't a difference between somebody outside the church living their life and those of us who know Jesus, but we're living on our own strength and through our own talents. That wasn't the plan. So if you're like me and my friend, you know that the Holy Spirit is meant for something more. And you really do want to be guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what keeps us from hearing the Holy Spirit to guide us through our day? I don't know if you've ever gone on a trip before with a group of adults. Um, that can be challenging sometimes. Um, maybe it was a road trip, a vacation with other adults. Just even going to somewhere, you know, going to Brooklyn, taking the train with other adults. Everybody has an opinion on how you're supposed to get there, right? And there's all of this discussion about which way is better to take. And that honestly drives me crazy. Um, you know, like, we should take the A. No, we should take the 1. No, the A is faster. No, I don't think so. The, you know, that whole debate, is the A or the 1 faster? And people are debating it and going on and on. And I'm just thinking, let's just pick one. Let's just pick one and get on the way. But some, for some people, that's really hard because they really always have a good idea of where and how they should go and how sh they should get there. And I really think that that is one of the issues that keeps us from hearing the Holy Spirit, is that we like to be in control of where we're going. We're rarely indifferent about what will happen to us. And if we're honest, most of us really want the Holy Spirit to help us, help things be easier for us, or more comfortable, or be more successful. But the Holy Spirit isn't a weapon to be used to help us. It's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person we get to have a relationship with. In fact, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as wind. Remember, it showed up in the sound of a violent wind. And you think about wind for a moment. Um, can you control wind? Can you tell it where to go? In John chapter 3, verse 8, this is what John says about the Spirit. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And the truth is that being led by the Spirit means we go where the Spirit wants us to go. And that often means we're going to go places and do things we don't want to do or places we don't really want to go. I mean, what if the Spirit prompts us to be more generous than we want to be or spend time with difficult people or change jobs or break up with somebody we love, or tackle an addiction we're not really ready to give up yet? What if the Spirit says, not now, you have to wait, but you really want it now? Do we really want to follow where the Spirit leads, or do we want the Spirit to help us do what we want, where we want to go? So this Greek word that John, um, the Apostle John uses, um, five times in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit is the word paraclete. So he is actually the only um, writer in the 
Bible to use that Greek word, paraclete, and he uses it five times in his writing. And it's a word that is translated as advocate or comforter or helper. But for the first century readers, um, they would know this word because of its legal use. It's a legal word. It's referring to somebody who gives legal advice during um, proceedings, legal proceedings. And it, it, it's this idea of somebody who whispers advice in your ear and tells you what to do next. Think of that image with the Holy Spirit. A friend who gives you advice in your ear. Knowledge of what is best for not just us, but for the kingdom, what he wants for his purpose in this world. Are we willing to follow the Holy Spirit's whisper in our ear of what's best for where he wants to lead us? So I mentioned before that it drives me crazy when people you know, are arguing about which way to go. And um, for me, it's frustrating because I kind of just like to follow. Um, it's something that drives Larry crazy um, because I never have like my own idea of where like the best path to go is and I think that's because I grew up with my dad and he, you know I just he really cared about that he studied it he made a plan I could trust him right he always through my experience he always got me where I wanted to go and I kind of feel that way about Larry you know he's through past experiences, he just gets me where I, I need to go, and so I don't question it. Um, there have been some mishaps, but most of the time, he gets me there. And so I just choose to follow because I trust him. Do we trust the Holy Spirit to direct us when it's scary, when it, it will be hard, or when people around us don't understand at all why we're making the choice. So during the next following weeks in this series, we're going to focus on how to get better at creating space to hear the Spirit whisper in our ears. We're going to look at things that can get in the way of letting the Holy Spirit direct our lives. And we're going to look at ways to make decisions that is led by the Spirit when we have choices to make. And we don't really know what the best decision is in our lives. But today, I just want to focus on this question. Do we trust the Holy Spirit to direct us? Do you trust the Holy Spirit to direct your life? Because if you do, if we do as a church, imagine what can happen through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Imagine if we listen to that whisper and we're training ourselves to know that it is God's Spirit asking us to do something. Imagine what will happen. It won't be because of our own strength. It will be because of the Holy Spirit. And I think that people outside of the church will see something different. They'll see the Spirit, and not just us in our own strength trying to be good people. We will be Spirit-led, a Spirit-led church. And so this morning, I, I want to just close today just kind of telling you a couple stories that I learned this, you know, that I heard these stories this week. 
preparing for this message about a few people who live spirit-led lives and how that has made a difference in this world. They chose to listen to the whisper in their ear, even though people around them discouraged them, even though it made them uncomfortable. They chose to listen, and because of that, lives were changed. So um, the first story comes from um, the book that I read this week um, by Francis Chan called The Forgotten God. It's um, a book um, about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard of Francis Chan. He wrote several years ago, he book, read, um, wrote a book called Crazy Love, and then he wrote um, this book, Forgotten God. And in it, he talks about the Holy Spirit, and then he ends every chapter with a story of somebody who he either knows personally or who is, he's read about them and really feels like they exhibit what it means to lead a spirit-led life. And I just considered that, um, that being known as being spirit-led and considered myself, would people say that about me? Wendy is spirit-led. I want that. And I want this church to be a church that people would say, that is a spirit-led church. So the first story um, he told was about a personal friend of his, a man named Thomas Yun, who um, is a chef. And um, he was a co-owner of this really expensive, successful steakhouse in um, California. And so um, they met together, and um, he was telling uh, Francis that, um, that the restaurant was doing so well. It was amazing how well it was doing. I mean, it far it went beyond everybody's expectations. It was just doing really, really well. And he was saying even in three years, they knew um, that the plan was that they were probably going to make back all of the invested money that they put into it, which was pretty incredible. And he said that he even was going to get a huge bonus when that happened. Pretty exciting. He said, but there's a problem. And the problem is, is that I feel the spirit leading me to leave now not in three years. And so he told his partners that he was giving up the money and um, choosing to leave for a ministry that God was calling him to. And so he went to work at a, a mission, a relief mission, um, cooking for homeless people every day. And then he would teach the homeless men and women how to cook so that they could go and work at restaurants in the area. Living a spirit-led life, you know, benefiting other people, countless people, changing their lives. I read, um, or I heard another story that um, I think many of you will um, enjoy hearing. So here at this um, church, we talk a lot about emotionally healthy spirituality, um, which we offer this class at least once a year. Um, many of us have gone through it. And it's really benefited us a ton. And so um, the leader of that, the person who um, created the curriculum, is a man named Pete Scazzaro, he and his wife, Jerry. And so um, I, I've gone to hear him speak several times. I have um, read several of his books. And I had never heard him talk about how he met Jesus. 
I knew that it happened sometime in college, but I never heard the story. And so this week, I listened to a message that he um, spoke about listening to the Holy Spirit, and he told about how um, he told about how the Holy um, Holy Spirit had prompted somebody to tell him about Jesus. And so he said that it happened um, that it happened at a party when he was just 19 in college, and. Um, he said he admitted that he was not a believer at the time, that he uh, would consider himself an intellectual, but he was an intellectual at this moment under the influence of some drugs. And um, he wasn't even sure what drugs they were, but he, was, he remembered enough to know that he was under the influence. And there was another woman at the time there, a young lady about his age, who... Um, had only been a believer for three weeks. And as she was um, there at this party, this big party, she heard the Holy Spirit prompt her to go and tell this stranger, Pete, about how she met Jesus. And so that's what she did. She approached him, told him how she had met Jesus just three weeks before. And he said, you know, I had questions for her. She couldn't answer them for me. But she said, Come to a Bible study. You can ask those questions there. And he said that was enough for him. That changed his whole life. And you just think about that. This guy started a church 25 years ago. Thousands of people have been affected by his church. And then this ministry where he's affected so many of our lives and people around the world. And all of that started because a teenager listen to a whisper in her ear to just go and share her story. It wasn't because she was so amazing, such an amazing, you know, evangelist, or that she was such an impressive person. She just listened to the whisper, and she did what it asked to just tell her story, and lives were changed. So on this walk, this journey, are you making the plans? Or is the Holy Spirit helping you to know what the next step is? Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't whisper all day long to us every single step, but are we creating space that allows him to whisper into our ear, prompting us to tell us something that he wants us to do? Maybe it's prompting you to talk to one of the leaders in our church about what it means to really make a commitment to Jesus for the first time and be baptized. Or maybe this week you'll hear a whisper to go and talk to somebody, a stranger you don't know, sitting on the bus or the train. Or maybe it's a whisper to invite your neighbor over to your house for dinner. Maybe the Spirit is prompting you to serve in a ministry here in the church or somewhere else that you don't quite feel qualified to be really be good at on your own strength. Maybe it's a whisper to make a change in your life today or just a whisper this week to pray for somebody. Will you listen to it? Will you stop and pray and maybe send a text to that person that you're praying for them? Who gets to set the direction of your life this week. And when you hear them, will you argue with them? Or will you trust the Spirit's leading? 
I pray that um, we would all strive to be spirit-led and that this church would really strive to be spirit-led, that we, we would um, use this teaching series to try to get better at listening to the spirit whisper in our ear. And so I'm going to pray a prayer that um, Francis Chan ended his book with as a prayer for each of us individually, but also collectively as a church, that this would be our prayer for the Holy Spirit and its work in our lives. Let's pray. Spirit, we know that we have done wrong by you. Please forgive us for grieving and resisting and quenching you. We have resisted you through sin and through our rebellion and through our hardness of heart. At times we've been spiritually blind and at other times we knew what you wanted us to do but we chose to ignore your promptings. Yet this is not how we want to live now. We need you to change us. We need your wisdom and your understanding as we seek to live this life. Keep us from disbelief and from fear. We need your strength to help us do what you are asking us to do and to live how you are asking us to live. So speak loudly and drown out the other voices calling us to conform to the patterns of this world. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Speak, Holy Spirit, speak. We don't know exactly what that means or what it will look like for each of us yet. But whatever it means, we ask for you and your presence, Spirit. Amen.